0: This is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, including all the saints throughout Archea, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in our affliction, so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, so also our consolation is abundant through Christ. If we are being afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. If we are being consoled, it is also for your consolation, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings as we are also suffering. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our consolation. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that if we had received the sentence of death so that we would rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead, he who rescued us from so deadly a peril will continue to rescue us. On him we have set our hope that he will rescue us again as you also join us in helping us by your prayers so that we may, we, sorry, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many.
1: Thank you very much, Jeff. And of course, that reading represents a a change for us now as we move from thinking about the Old Testament for the past few weeks to thinking about the New Testament. Let me hand over to Simon now for our sermonette this morning.
2: So to our scripture uh, for this morning, we are starting a new series uh, on uh, 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to be introducing that for us this week. Now after five weeks of preaching through the book of Job, you could be forgiven for thinking that it might be time to move on from subjects such as suffering and affliction. After all, surely we've served our time staring down disease and disorder, and now it's time to move on to a happier message. Let's leave Job in the Old Testament where he belongs and set our sights on the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's get back to business as usual and put the time of difficulty behind us. Except, of course, it's never that easy. The human condition, even at its most joyful, is still tinged with both the memory and expectation of tears, while some celebrate, others mourn. I'm sorry, let me start the sermon again. After 16 weeks of lockdown you could be forgiven for thinking that it might be time to move on from subjects such as the virus and death rates. After all surely we have served our time staring down disease and disorder and now it's time to move on to a happier message. Let's leave Covid in the past where it belongs and set our sights on the good news of the new normal. Let's get back to business as usual and put the time of difficulty behind us. Except, of course, it's never that easy. Even Saturday night in Soho, at its most joyful, is still tinged with both the memory and expectation of tears, while some celebrate, others mourn. And so we come to Paul's fourth letter to the Corinthians, where he offers a Christ-centred message of consolation to those who are still living with affliction. But before we get to that, you may have noticed that I just called this Paul's fourth letter to the Corinthians. And those who have been coming to my Monday evening Biblical Studies masterclasses will know why. The fact is, we don't have the whole of Paul's correspondence with the church in Corinth reflected in our Bibles. The letter we call 1 Corinthians makes mention of a previous letter, which is now lost. And this makes 1 Corinthians actually the second letter Paul sent to Corinth. And then when we get to 2 Corinthians, we find a reference to it being a follow-up to a previous letter that was written, as Paul says, with much distress and anguish of heart and with many tears. That's a quote from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 that we'll come to next week. But you see, that doesn't sound like 1 Corinthians. So we think there is another lost letter between what we call 1 Corinthians, which is actually the second letter, and 2 Corinthians, which is therefore the fourth letter. I hope you're keeping up. But I'm afraid it's even more complicated than this because some scholars think that 2 Corinthians is itself a combination of Paul's fourth and fifth letters, with the break coming between chapters 9 and 10. But we don't need to worry about that for the moment. Anyway, back to chapter 1 where Paul begins in fine pastoral form by offering the Corinthians a message of consolation in their experience of affliction. If you know anything about the Corinthian church, you will I'm sure remember that it was a far from straightforward congregation, as it tried to bring together both Gentile and Jewish converts to Christianity. It seems that Despite Paul's various visits and previous letters, this church was still afflicted with fractured relationships, not only between themselves, but also between themselves and Paul. And Paul's purpose in writing to them yet again in the letter we call 2 Corinthians, is to try and overcome some of the shattering of relationships that has taken place there. And he sets out to achieve this with a piece of slightly convoluted theological logic. Uh, The gist of it runs something like this. Firstly, Jesus was crucified as a result of human conflict. And the cross speaks powerfully of conflict leading to broken relationships, leading in turn to violence and death. Secondly, the cross is not the end of the story, because God is a God of new life, and so the resurrection of Jesus offers a vision of God refusing to let human conflict write the terms of the future. Therefore, the gospel of resurrection stands over and against all the damage that human beings do to each other in their lives of conflict and violence and continually calls us to a better way of being human together. So by this logic, Christ's death on the cross, his affliction at the hands of violent humans, becomes a source of good news for anyone who finds themselves caught in spirals of conflict, because the resurrection of Jesus opens a new way of relating together, where it is life and not death. That gets the final word. This then is the consolation in affliction that Paul speaks of. The good news that there is a future open before us in Christ that is not dominated by conflict or death. So for the Corinthians, whose experience of life was seemingly one of pretty much perpetual conflict, Paul is here opening a door to a path of peace and reconciliation. He's showing them that in their arguments and the difficulties that stem from them, they're actually united with Christ in Christ's suffering on the cross. And that just as Christ shares their experience of brokenness, so they too can share in the reconciliation that's made possible through Christ's resurrection. So far, so good. We are united with Christ in affliction, and we will be united with Christ in consolation. But Paul doesn't leave it there. The good news of the possibility of new life, in place of conflict and death, is not the end of the good news of the cross. Because Paul goes on to say that the consolation in affliction that's on offer to the Corinthians is only the start of the good news. The next stage is that all who are afflicted with conflict and consoled in Christ are therefore called to pass on that consolation to others. In other words, it's not just that Christians are called to stop fighting with each other, although it does begin there. But they are called to be a force for peace and reconciliation in the whole world too. The Jewish scholar John Levinson captures this. He uses a little phrase, he he kind of reads Paul as as a Jewish scholar rather than reading Paul as a Christian. And he sums this up in a little phrase, which is, the chosen are called to serve. And this roots Paul's argument right back into the Jewish understanding of itself, of of Israel as the chosen people of God. The chosen are called to serve. The children of Abraham, the people of Israel, are the heirs of the covenants that God struck with Abraham that they would be God's people and God would be their God. But the purpose of that covenant was never intended to stop there. From the very beginning, the blessings experienced by the people of God were always intended to be a blessing for all the nations of the earth. The chosen are called to serve. And this is Paul's great conviction, writing, of course, as a good Jewish man who has come to believe that in Christ the people of God has been extended to include all those who follow Jesus. But the conviction is the same. The people of God, whether understood as the Jewish people of the Second Temple period, or the new communities that Paul founded, where Jews and Gentiles were joined together in Christ, the people of God are not to keep the blessings of God to themselves. If they have any consolation in Christ, it is only theirs so they can share it more widely. If they are united with God through Christ's death and resurrection and released from lives of conflict and violence against themselves or others, it is only so that they can see others similarly reconciled. And so we come to the Church of Christ in our time. We aren't Corinth, but we are Bloomsbury. We don't have the same issues that beset Corinth, but we do have our own. Our congregation, as every congregation, has its afflictions. We have conflicts with one another. We have conflicts deep within ourselves. And Paul's challenge is every bit as relevant to us as it was 2,000 years ago. We too need to hear that God is a God of resurrection and that Christ meets us in the depths of our brokenness to open a door for us to a new life lived in reconciliation and forgiveness. We do not have to live lives dominated by guilt and sin and conflict. Christ is our consolation in our affliction. We are reconciled. We are forgiven. But we too have to hear the next part of Paul's logic, which is that this is only the start of our good news story. We have a calling to bring that message of reconciliation, that encouragement of consolation to those who are not yet and probably never will be part of our worshipping congregation. The chosen are called to serve. And the key to this for us will be the same as it was for the Corinthians. We are called to set aside any hint of partisanship, to give up our dreams of moral or spiritual supremacy, to distance ourselves from fantasies of the Christian country, and to discover instead the healing depths of genuine relationships with people who may start from very different places to us. From broad-based partnerships such as London Citizens to localised community groups in our neighbourhoods, our peaceful reconciling presence in the world can be deeply transformative of lives and communities beyond ourselves. This is our calling. We are chosen and called to serve. And what we will discover, I am quite sure, is that God is already at work, out there in a world that is hurting and grieving and fractured and broken. God is drawing people to the good news of reconciliation and new life. And so when we proclaim the Gospel of Christ, we find God is already at work in the world proclaiming that same message, and our calling is to be there and to join in with what God is doing.
1: Thank you, Simon. We'll turn to our discussion in just a moment, but let's just have a moment of silence to think through about some of the things that uh, Simon mentioned there. if I could ask the uh, panellists on the uh, discussion to uh, unmute yourselves, please, and uh, open your videos.
0: (laughs) It's not allowing (laughs) me to.
1: Thank you. Nice to see you all. Um, uh, Alexandra and Simon, I I, I think I might um, come to you to begin with. I'm interested in this idea about God being our, our comforter. I mean, I've heard some people be quite negative about this kind of concept. You know, as Christians having an idea that somehow God takes special care of us, like we're children who deserve God's attention. I mean, to non-Christians that might sound as though it's a comforting myth, a nice idea, a way of cheering ourselves up. I'm wondering what your view is on this idea that we can take comfort from our faith in God.
2: Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, I think, I mean, this is just my initial thought that it tends to be based on your your experience probably over a prolonged period of time, and it's a relationship that you build up. So it's not I don't tend to view it as God being selfish, or being a binary thing, I think I view it as a, a sort of a, a gradation that anyone who gets into that relationship would have that, but you can't just switch it on. If that makes sense.
1: Yes, I think it does. I, I, I think that point about it being a relationship is, is, is an important part. Um, Alexandra, what's your perspective on it?
3: I I think I I would agree with that and um, I think it's it's right that it it could sound to non-Christians like oh well you've got this special thing and and it sounds a bit wimpy even to have that comfort but I think if if you've if you have built it up over time it's it's just something that you know it's the comfort is that God exists and that things will come right in the end even if there are lots of difficult things in in the meantime so I, I don't think it's a, an easy thing, but I think it is something that that gives a bit of a, it gives a lot of help when things are difficult.
1: Thank you, Susan. Um, that Bible passage talked about God as being a a, a God of compassion. Is, is that how you experience God? Almost a uh, something akin to a, a compassionate parent.
4: Um. Oh. Um, I think so but I do I think often I find that I have to make a conscious choice to view God in that way that sometimes like it would be very easy to say hey things are going badly right now darn you God shake fist at the sky type thing and I think it is it's not necessarily like a feeling (laughs) that I already have. It's something that I make a choice to believe. Um, Yeah. It doesn't come naturally, but yes, I do find that God has compassion, but yeah, not necessarily, it's not necessarily easy.
1: Yeah. I think that's an interesting, that's an interesting observation that faith is a choice. I think the other thing that, that, that because we worship this idea of one God that always creates a difficulty is that God has to have every attribute. He has to be seen as compassionate and the creator. And, you know, obviously other religions that are pantheistic, they, they have one God that's angry and punishing and difficult <laughs> and one God that's sweet and kind and, and mother-like. I mean, but of course, everything has to be bundled together in, 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 in this sort of unified figure, which is quite difficult sometimes theologically, I always think. Jeff, what did you think about this in terms of the context of the letter to Corinthians that, that Simon was saying, a, a message to a troubled congregation?
0: Not only was it a message from a, to a troubled congregation, it was a message from a troubled Paul and Timothy. They are the ones that are experiencing consolation. Um, from the resurrection. And they are sort of trying to talk that into the, the church at Corinth, or at least that's the way I read the reading. And uh, But there's this aspect that has pervaded Christian preaching in that the, you uh, have to be down in the dumps before you can experience the reconciliation. And, that speaks well to people who probably have anxiety problems or otherwise. The people who are absolutely flat in terms of their emotions, that doesn't speak to them very well. So there is something going on here that is not quite, doesn't speak to me in the same way as it might speak to others. Um, And you get the same sort of thing the, the prosperity Christian guys, they also have this sort of thing, you know, they, they sort of say, God's not on your side unless you're doing really well financially. That's not quite how I would read the gospel. And uh, so, so they're on a different side. On one side we've got all these old-fashioned preachers who sort of say, you've got to be absolutely convicted of sin before you can experience the, the salvation that comes through Christianity. Um, and then you 've got the prosperity guys who sort of say well once you 've reached that stage <laughs> you 've got to be doing really well, and neither of those ring true
1: so, yeah i know I, I know what you mean, um, although I think that there is some i don 't know how i don 't know how theological or biblical it is, but I think there is some psychological truth in the fact that if you are focused and organized and uh, perhaps developing spiritually, then other things in your life can tend to fall in place. I mean, I think this is my experience that actually the, the 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 commitment to being a church member and to reading the Bible and to trying to meditate and pray has actually had a sort of knock-on effect in in, in, in bringing other things, including my sort of financial organization into a into a better state. But I don't think that's necessarily a theological thing. I think that's more to do with, uh, you know, psychology probably as much as anything else.
0: Yeah, I think it is about psychology and sometimes Christians fo- focus on one sort of psychology rather than uh, trying to talk to the individuals who may be in a different position.
1: Yes. Um, Simon and Alexandra, I wondered what you made of those quite emotional terms that that are used in, in in the passage to begin with. I mean, it's quite it's, it's quite strong language, isn't it?
3: I mean, I, I was just thinking how, just listening to what you were saying there. How I think everyone in life has a has a different journey and has different things that they come up against. And I, I've come, to, I don't know again if it's theological really, but I've come to think that you get the challenges that you really need as you as an individual in order to grow in in the ways that that, that god thinks you most need to grow i don't know i've just seen it in the different people it happens in different ways um so yeah i mean it, it, it sometimes life feels to me like it's just a continual you know one wave after another after another and and so for me it, it it speaks very true um that if that consolate you know if you can get consolation that you can then give to other people that there is something that makes it feel more worthwhile maybe or, or less painful
1: yeah absolutely um and i mean susan i think the other thing that simon was was emphasizing there is that receiving compassion from god also comes with a sense of responsibility doesn't it i mean it's not as though we just take we're also then expected to to show compassion and consolation i don't know i don't know how you feel that that is something that affects your life and experience yeah
4: i mean i really like feel it as a sense of duty that like when i go about my life i a lot of the time I just feel like I have to do something that it's, I'm just compelled to do it. Um, and that is mainly because of my faith i I would hope that even without faith, I would have this sense of wanting to do something, but for me, like the way I experience it is very based in faith. I think yeah, sometimes maybe because of this, because I do have this sense of purpose that maybe sometimes does make me forget how hurtful I can still be. Like, and even though, you know, I read books and I say, and I can talk about how, like, words, for instance, impact others. Sometimes I do, like forget how real that is and that it's not just some intellectual idea that, you know, I can be hurtful. I had, yeah, someone I live with say to me the other day, actually, like, the way you talk about uh, something about money, the way you talk about money is really not helpful and it's quite hurtful. And, yeah, and it was hard and, you know wasn't the most fun conversation, but I'm really glad it happened. And I'm really glad, you know, this person was able to say to me, hey, look, this isn't okay. Um, I feel like I've gone slightly off topic, but.
1: Uh, I think that's interesting. And I, I think for me that the, 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 some of the hardest things that have happened in relationships have been where there's been a conflict over money. I mean, I can remember, you know, Earlier this year, somebody I got a theatre ticket for and they were supposed to pay me the £35 and they never gave it back. And I felt really cross about it. Uh, it was only a relatively small amount of money, but the amount of emotion that it generated compared to another thing. If I could have spoken my mind about money, I would have been, you know, really negative about it, I'm afraid. No, it's an interesting point. Um, and thanks for the comments coming in from people. Um, uh, um, Simon is making the point that the word um, comfort can also be translated as uh, encouragement, which I think is helpful. Um, and Liz, um, let me just read a moment from what Liz says. Um, going back to what Jeff says about, she's challenging the idea that you don't have to be down in the dumps, but it's a recognition, she says, that life even as a Christian can include experiences and emotions such as loss and disappointment and sadness, and it's when that happens that consolation is there. That's part of what she sees as the message of Christian faith. Susan, can I invite you now to lead us in our prayers of intercession?
4: I'm now going to lead the prayers of intercession. Um, We pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for our time together today. We thank you for the community we have. We thank you for our minister, Simon, and we thank you for all the members of our church who give up their time for others. We pray that we are encouraged to support each other still, even as life begins to appear to be returning to, to normality. We remember those who are our forced to work, many of whom are still fearful, and we pray that you would encourage all of us to act with concern for others' health when we are out. We pray for the places of worship that are reopening, that people may feel safe, and that all people may find comfort and community in their faith, whether that be in person or not. Lord, we pray for all countries still struggling with the coronavirus pandemic. We pray for the United States of America, Brazil, India, and many others. We pray that their leaders would act wisely and that they too will be able to find times of rest and respite during this challenging time. We pray also for those countries which, through many years of colonial oppression, have been left with poor resources, particularly medical resources. May people find compassion in order to help those we pray for Bosnia, which is marking 25 years since the Srebrenica massacre. We pray for those who lost loved ones and we pray for healing and meaningful reconciliation. We pray that we would be aware of racial and religious prejudice in our own communities so that we are actively working against the possibility of similar events. And we pray that we would not turn a blind eye to atrocities taking place in our world currently and we pray for our government that they would use their role in this world to bring about peace we pray for our country and our city we pray that the racial divisions in our country we pray that the racial divisions in our country may be healed and that the systemic injustice that continues to prevail may end we pray that we would take part in this change that we would be encouraged to speak out, and that if we do not understand, we learn and listen. We pray for those who we know, that they would feel able to let us know when we are hurtful or insensitive. We acknowledge that we may be hurtful to those in our own congregation, and we pray that our community may be strengthened through honest, open dialogue. We pray for London citizens and for our engagement with this organisation. We pray that through this we would be able to bring about the change that we seek. And we hope that we would feel encouraged to participate and engage. We pray that our faith would lead us to action rather than being insular. And Yeah, Lord, we just pray that your will be done and that we would allow your will to be done. Amen.
1: May the God of all comfort console our troubled hearts. May the spirit of the risen Christ lift us above the world's conflicts. And may the Father of all compassion fill our hearts with peace. Amen.